Hey guys, this is Lauren Nyrider. Welcome to a very special breaking news episode of Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. Here's why I'm dropping in with this episode. Over and over, Steve and I have told you about innocent people who ended up confessing to crimes they didn't commit. These stories usually have a common thread. Interrogators who lied about the evidence to get those false confessions. Lies like your DNA was found at the scene or the polygraph proves you guilty. These kinds of lies are known risk factors for false confessions. But here's the breaking news. Someone is finally doing something about it. For the first time in U.S. history, bills have just been introduced in three states to prohibit police from lying during interrogations. It's happening right now in New York, Oregon, and my home state, Illinois. I support these bills, and I hope you will too. In fact, we pulled together today's special episode just so I could introduce you to three heroes who are working together to make sure we make change. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be joined first today by New York exoneree Marty Tankluff. He falsely confessed to murdering his own parents when he was just 17. 
Then you'll hear from Illinois State Senator Robert Peters. He's the sponsor of Illinois Senate Bill 2122, which would ban deception during interrogation. Finally, you'll hear from an old friend of mine, Dave Thompson. He's an experienced interrogator and police trainer who is with us all the way in our fight to end false confessions. I'm going to start with our guest, Marty Tankliff. Marty woke up one fall morning and found his dad in another room, severely beaten and barely alive. Unbeknownst to Marty at the time, his mom had also been attacked in a different part of the house. In fact, she had already died because of her injuries. Like anyone would do, Marty called the police. But that's when an already terrible situation got even worse. So thank you so much for joining us, all three of you today. This is such an important topic, and I'm so glad we're here to talk about this. I want to start things off by hearing from my friend, Marty Tankliff, right? Marty, you've got one of the most incredible stories of wrongful conviction and false confession that I've ever heard, and lies about the evidence are at the heart of it. So let's bring our listeners back. You're 17 years old. You're living with mom and dad in Long Island, New York. And what happens from there? September 7th, 1988, it was supposed to be my first day of my senior year of high school. And the night before, my father held a high-stakes poker game with his business partner, Jerry Struman, and others. And on September 7th, I woke up, found that my house was unlocked, uh, lights were on, and I walked through the house and discovered my father bleeding in his office chair, which is where the poker game happened the night before. Unbeknownst to you, your mom was in another room and had, and had actually been bludgeoned to death herself. I f- discovered my mom after that, but I knew my father was alive because I performed first aid. I could hear him breathing. I called 911, and shortly thereafter, the police showed up, and I wanted to go to the hospital. But law enforcement wanted information on who they thought was responsible. And, you know, we all said, my family, my friends, everybody said, Jerry Stuman, Jerry Stuman. And he happened to be there the night before. Tell me a little bit about what happened the night before. You've mentioned this. So the night before, there was a high-stakes poker game that included Jerry Stuman. And Jerry Stuman was my father's business partner, who, unbeknownst to me at that time, had threatened to cut my father's throat out and his tongue out weeks before. My father started demanding money back from Jerry Stuman. And it was so bad that my father had told the family attorney, Jerry's not going to fuck with me because I know where the bones are buried. I didn't know any of that back then. The only thing I knew was that there were some problems with Jerry Stuerman. And I knew there were no problems with me or my parents. I mean, we had a loving relationship. I you know, grew up in a great neighborhood, great family, traveled, did everything with my parents. So I knew there was no problems with us. But the police, I guess, weren't so sure. They brought you down to police headquarters. And, and what happens? I really wasn't clothed. I was barefoot. I was wearing shorts and a sweatshirt. And I was separated from family. I wasn't brought to the hospital. I was driven 45 minutes away uh, by Detective James McCready. I was brought up to police headquarters in a windowless room that had a desk, an empty file cabinet, Two metal chairs, no phone, no windows. And, you know, the questioning started, you know, where were you the night before? Who do you think was responsible? And that seemed to go on forever until there was a point where McCready left the room and he left the door open 
And you could hear him saying, really? Great. Really? That's amazing. That's great news. Wait till I tell Marty. And he came back in and he said, Marty, I got great news and bad news. Yeah, he said, the great news is they pumped your father full of adrenaline. He woke up and he said, you committed the murders. You attacked your mother and your father. Just tell us you did that because your father just said you did that. I mean, they, they continued by saying, listen, Marty, we have your hair in your mother's hands. Just tell us what we want to hear. Your father would want that. Wow. That's incredible. How did you react to those lies, Marty? My initial gut response was like, I'll take a lie detector. I like, I didn't do anything. But it also came to the point where it was a kind of, I guess you could say like the floor under me just fell out and kind of was like, well, if my father said I did it, maybe I did because my father's never lied to me and police aren't supposed to lie to you. So I know I didn't do anything, but you're, my father's saying that it was me and the cops are saying it was me, but I was brought up to trust the police, believe in them and, and brought up to that. They're not going to lie to you. They're, they're your friends. They're going to help you. Exactly. In fact, your dad was police commissioner, wasn't he? he? He was the police commissioner for the incorporated village of Beltaire, where we lived. And you start to doubt your own memory because you so trust the word of these authority figures, right? These police officers who are telling you what another authority figure, your dad, supposedly said. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And you kind of start going back and forth in your head. You kind of say, wait a minute. I know I didn't do anything, but they're saying I did. Screaming in your face, yelling at you, saying... You know, Marty, we know you did this, and your father is saying you did this. Some people, Marty, some people that I've talked to say, you know what, if I was being interrogated, right, if I was inside the interrogation room and I was innocent and police lied to me, it would be so easy to see through those lies, right, to not be influenced by those lies. Is it so easy when it's you in the moment? No. <laughs> Farthest thing from that, I mean, uh, you know, I wasn't somebody who was 30 who had lived a life. I was a kid. I was a kid who was raised to trust your family and cops. And in this situation, one of them failed me. And so eventually you confessed. Eventually they said I confessed. But the reality was, is that they didn't record anything. They didn't audio tape anything. And everything they said I said proved forensically to be wrong. Right. But you gave the series of statements that eventually the officer said amounted to a confession. Right. And that was a huge part of the evidence that was used against you to secure your conviction in the murder of your own parents, which you ended up serving 17 years in prison for before being exonerated. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story. And it's one in which lies about the evidence are at the absolute bottom. I just want to know, Marty, when afterwards did you begin to realize that you had been lied to? There were two points for me. One was when I had an opportunity to make a phone call to a family member and the family member said, did you tell them that you did it? And I was like, they made me. That was the only thing I could say on there during that phone call. But hours later, when I met with a family member and an attorney, I went into much more detail. And back then somebody, you know, one of them said, we were afraid of this because they knew what Suffolk County's history was. And they knew that once I was isolated, that this was bound to happen. Wow. And what, and what was it like to understand that you'd been lied to by these authority figures, right? By these police officers whom you grew up trusting. I mean, back then it was still this 
disbelief. I mean, it was almost like I was in the twilight zone. There was no way that I could be waking up that should have been one of the best days of my life to literally turning into a living hell that destroyed my life, my family's life, the community for, you know, for years. Um, and nobody should ever go through this. I mean, this is, I mean, just because they lied to me. You know, if you didn't lie, if you did your job, if you told the truth, if you would have just electronically recorded what went on in that room, I may not have spent almost 18 years in prison. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. 
every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Senator, I want to bring you in now. This is Senator Robert Peters from Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best way to react to this is what happened to Marty's damn shame. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that, Marty. And what is so painful is that it's not surprising. We see this all the time. They look at you and they say, you're young. You don't really know any better. You're in a state of crisis. And they, instead of caring about figuring out what happened in this moment of pain and trauma, they became assured of their own answer. And so, you know, the bill that, you know, I'm carrying in the the Senate is built off of the fact that countless people, roughly the same age as Marty or younger. Um, Now this happens to older folks, but the reason why young folks are targeted is because there's a power dynamic at play and a limitation in how many rights you actually have or understand to have. And it's, it's not about people's safety. And it's not about trying to solve or figure out the trauma that's happened. And at some point, it becomes purely about winning the game in which you've solved something, supposedly. You know, Senator, I think you're exactly right. Marty, you spoke about Suffolk County, New York, right, where this happened to you. But of course, we know of of hundreds and hundreds of cases of false confession around the country, 100 alone in Illinois, 150 when you combine Illinois and New York. And those numbers are all, in all probability, just the tip of the iceberg, because these cases are just now starting to come to light. Marty, you heard the senator talk about the need to ban lies about the evidence in the interrogation room. Does what he, he said resonate with you? First of all, thank you, Senator, for trying to push this legislation through because more Marty Tankas have to be protected. And, you know, I think about how challenging it was for me, and I think about all the young men and women in minority communities, the abuse that I went through, I can't even fathom what someone else goes through on a regular basis. To me, this legislation has to be passed. I mean, universally, it has to be passed. So at this point, I want to bring in my, my good friend, Dave Thompson, who's here with us as well. Dave is the president of Wicklander Zulawski. You train police across the country and across the globe. And you've also conducted a few interrogations yourself, Dave. How many would you say you've done? Yeah, quite a few hundred interrogations, I'd say, Laura, kind of across multiple sectors and across multiple jurisdictions. Wow. So there really is no one better for me to ask then. Do cops really need to lie during interrogations? No, there's other methods that they can be trained in, which which we can discuss. The law needs to change. And we also know it increases the fear of innocent people, like Marty just, just described. And for detectives who are investigating somebody who is a guilty subject, who does confess to a crime, but they used a tactic like this, all it does is potentially contaminate that confession and maybe jeopardize the reliability of a true confession as well. So it's really a um, very, very high risk, low reward strategy. Okay. So if police officers don't need to lie, then why do they do it? 
I, I think the simple answer is that's how they've been trained. Um, and that's what they're allowed to do. It's not investigators for the most part doing something that they feel is unethical or unwarranted. It's they're doing something that they've used for decades. They've been trained in that technique and maybe unaware of the negative implications this technique has on both innocent subjects and to the reliability of a true confession. So if, if we look at what's the root cause, what's the reason that we lie about evidence in the first place? And it's because if that evidence doesn't exist, we have this bias or this belief that the person sitting in front of us is the guilty party, but the evidence isn't there, which means we don't have enough to actually prove they're the guilty party. So we rely on this fictitious piece of information to persuade the suspect to tell us they're guilty versus let the investigation stand on its own. And even furthermore, you know, innocent people, they hear that there's this perspective of evidence, right? If, if I said in an arson case, you know, we have video footage of, of you starting the fire and that doesn't exist. An innocent person might think, well, I hope they have video footage because it'll clear my name. So almost that, that fictitious presentation of evidence incentivizes an innocent person to just say, fine, yeah, I, I did it. Because they hope that that evidence will prove that they didn't just to kind of find out that evidence doesn't exist in the first place. So I think Marty brought up one fact that investigators said, uh, hair, right? His hair in his mother's hand. And, and so let's say in a confession, somebody like Marty says, well, yeah, I, I guess you know, she must have grabbed my hair during whatever, whatever happened. Now the subject giving that information in a confession, did they, did they say that because they were actually part of the crime? They remember that happening? Or did they say that because that's what the investigators fact fed to them during the interview? So they're just agreeing to it. When you have somebody of a youthful age, they're looking at how do I escape this immediate situation and get back to safety? And that's what results in the false confession is I have faith that this evidence is going to prove my innocence to be true. Let me say whatever I need to get the hell out of the room and get back to safety and let the, let the lawyers figure it out afterwards. Unfortunately, we see what that has turned into. I would imagine that when people sign up to be police officers, right, when they join police forces, they want to be the good guys. And then at a certain point, police officers who become interrogators learn that as a part of their job, they're expected to lie. Are there some cops out there who maybe aren't comfortable with that? First of all, uh, the goal in, in most investigators are well-intended to try to represent a victim or a victim's family or who, whoever might have been harmed in one of these cases. And so when you go into an, an investigation or an interrogation and you have this predisposed belief of who the guilty suspect is, and you've been trained that lying about evidence is a strategical way to get to a confession then yeah, that's that's what a lot of officers are, are focused on. However, I think there's an overwhelming discomfort, especially with new detectives, to be put into a position where their own integrity is in jeopardy, where they know if I lie to somebody about the evidence today, what does that do for my credibility tomorrow? I think there's a overwhelming support of law enforcement for more clear uh, direction and distinction about what should be done uh, so we can still solve cases but do it in, in the most ethical and scientifically based way. Tell me, Dave, what does an interrogation look like if you take away lies about the evidence? It looks like asking open-ended questions, a conversation where the investigator doesn't have a goal of a confession, but has a goal of obtaining actionable and reliable information, less of having confirmation bias and tunnel vision, you know, non-coercive uh, evidence-based interview methods that are progressively gaining traction across the United States. 
Senator, I want to go back to you for just one minute. You've introduced this bill, of course, in, in your home state of Illinois, and you're in great company because there are similar bills that have been introduced in New York, where Marty is from, and in Oregon as well, other bills that would ban lying about the evidence in the interrogation room. What does it mean to you to be part of this national groundswell for change? Wow. Um, so I think that um, I always think like when you try to make changes to something systemic, you can't just go it alone. And so to me, it's not just having it be Illinois, New York or Oregon, but to see it across the country. Right. But I also think it's just important that if we can do this in Illinois, a complex state, same with Oregon, same with New York, other states should try to follow and, and do the same thing. I think that's well said. And Dave, in how many states is deception used? during interrogations? I mean, the Supreme Court law is allowing it to be used across the United States. We've seen a lot of jurisdictions starting to move forward away from that proactively, right? We can start training officers now, and we have been, on methods that you don't need to use those tactics. And we start to look outside the United States. You know, the UK has banned deception for decades in their interview models. Canada has been moving away from it. So this is not a new problem by any means. It's just finally a solution to that problem, I, I think. It is. It's a pretty groundbreaking solution to this problem. Senator, you have introduced Illinois Senate Bill 2122, which would ban deception in the interrogation room. Where do we go from here? How can people get involved in supporting your effort to ban deception? Let's put pressure on legislators. Let's shine a light on Illinois as a model for wherever you live, whether that's Montana or Florida. Take this bill as a piece of model legislation and say that this is something that needs to happen in your state. So let me repeat that. Montana or Florida should have their own version of this bill. Absolutely. Absolutely. People can follow you on social media. Senator Robert Peters is your name. Um, they can follow me at Laura Nyrider on Twitter or Instagram for tips on how to get involved in supporting the Illinois effort, as well as the crucial New York and Oregon efforts as well. Marty, I want to let you close this out. You have been extraordinarily successful, <laughs> despite all of these, these odds stacked against you in your life. Since your exoneration, you've become a practicing attorney, you have become an adjunct professor, and you've become an inspiration for change. And I think that's what we're talking about today on this podcast. What does it mean to you that your story can and has inspired people like Dave, people like Senator Peters, to fight for real change? just want to say two things very quickly. One is that when you interrogate an innocent person, you get a false confession, you arrest them, you've allowed the criminal party to remain free to commit additional crimes on our community. And you know this bill should be highlighted that it's not just about the coercion, it's really about the safety of everyone involved. And you know if my voice can help make change somewhere, then you know maybe my suffering was meant to be somewhere, as weird as it sounds. Um, but there really shouldn't be any more Marty Tankless. There are you know, very few people get to suffer the way I have and be able to achieve what I've been able to achieve. Um, you know, and for me, it's about education, it's about retraining and refocusing everyone's perspectives on the system. And thank you to Senator Peters and, and Dave Thompson, we're making a difference. And, you know, if we can make a change in Illinois, we can do it universally and we can protect our kids. And just to make the record clear, I'm an adjunct professor at Georgetown, not law school. And I teach the class at Georgetown is nicknamed Making an Exoneree 
where we use undergraduate students to reinvestigate cases. And what's amazing is some of those students have been through tragedies that we've spoken about today, either directly or indirectly. And to me, that's the next generation of freedom fighters for us. Well, inspired by you, Marty, very much, and by you, Senator Peters, and by you, Dave. Thank you all so much for joining us today. It has been a fascinating conversation. Best of luck with everything that each one of you is doing to change the world, make a difference, like Marty says, and most importantly, make sure that uh, we're advancing this fight against wrongful convictions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. All right. Take care, guys. That's all the time we have, but I hope you get just how important it is to support Illinois State Senate Bill 2122. There will be a vote on the bill Friday, April 16th, so we need you to weigh in now. Sign up to get involved at innocenceproject.org pledge, or tweet your support to the Illinois Senate Democrats at ILSENDEMS. That's I-L-S-E-N-D-E-M-S. To learn how to support similar efforts in New York, Oregon, and other states, you can also follow me at Laura Nyrider on Instagram or Twitter. Be well, everyone, and thanks again to our guests. Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company No. 1. Special thanks to our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wardis. This episode was produced by Reva Goldberg and Connor Hall. Follow the show on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.